Laren Ichin Hurin, The Tale of the Children of Hurin, by J.R.R. Tolkien. Edited by Christopher Tolkien and read by Christopher Lee. Chapter 1 The Childhood of Turin Hador Goldenhead was a lord of the Edine and well beloved by the Eldar. He dwelt while his days lasted under the lordship of Fingolfin, who gave to him wide lands in that region of Hithlum which was called Dor Lomin. His daughter, Glorethel, wedded Haldir, son of Halmir, lord of the men of Brethil, and at the same feast his son, Galdor the Tall, wedded Hareth, the daughter of Halmir. Galdor and Hareth had two sons, Hurin and Huor. Hurin was by three years the elder, but he was shorter in stature than other men of his kin. In this he took after his mother's people, but in all else he was like Hador, his grandfather, strong in body and fiery of mood. But the fire in him burned steadily, and he had great endurance of will. Of all men of the north, he knew most of the councils of the Noldor. Huor, his brother, was tall, the tallest of all the Edine, save his own son, Tuor, only, and a swift runner. But if the race were long and hard, Hurin would be the first home, for he ran as strongly at the end of the course as at the beginning. There was great love between the brothers, and they were seldom apart in their youth. Hurin wedded Morwen, the daughter of Baragund, son of Bregolas of the house of Beor, and she was thus of close kin to Berin one hand. Morwen was dark-haired and tall, and for the light of her glance and the beauty of her face men called her Elethwin, the elven fair. But she was somewhat stern of mood and proud. The sorrows of the house of Beor saddened her heart, for she came as an exile to Dorlomin from Dorthonion after the ruin of the Bragolach. Turin was the name of the eldest child of Hurin and Morwen, and he was born in that year in which Beren came to Doriath and found Luthien Tinuviel, Thingol's daughter. Morwen bore a daughter also to Hurin, and she was named Urwen, but she was called Lalaith, which is laughter, by all that knew her in her short life. Huor wedded Rian, the cousin of Morwen. She was the daughter of Belegund, son of Bregolas. By hard fate was she born into such days, for she was gentle of heart and loved neither hunting nor war. Her love was given to trees and to the flowers of the wild, and she was a singer and a maker of songs. Two months only had she been wedded to Huor, when he went with his brother to the Nirnaeth Arnoediad, and she never saw him again.
But now the tale returns to Hurin and Huor in the days of their youth. It is said that for a while the sons of Galdor dwelt in Brethil as foster sons of Haldir their uncle, after the custom of northern men in those days. They often went to battle with the men of Brethil against the orcs, who now harried the northern borders of their land, for Hurin, though only seventeen years of age, was strong, and Hoar the younger was already as tall as most full-grown men of that people. On a time, Hurin and Hoar went with a company of scouts, but they were ambushed by the orcs and scattered, and the brothers were pursued to the ford of Brithiach. There they would have been taken or slain, but for the power of Ulmo that was still strong in the waters of Sirion. And it is said that a mist arose from the river and hid them from their enemies, and they escaped over the Brithiach into Dimbar. There they wandered in great hardship, among the hills beneath the sheer walls of the Chrysaigrim, until they were bewildered in the deceits of that land, and knew not the way to go on, or to return. There Thorondor espied them, and he sent two of his eagles to their aid, and the eagles bore them up and brought them beyond the encircling mountains, to the secret vale of Tumladin, and the hidden city of Gondolin, which no man had yet seen. There Turgon the king received them well when he learned of their kin, for Hador was an elf friend, and Ulmo, moreover, had counselled Turgon to deal kindly with the sons of that house, from whom help should come to him at need. Hurin and Huor dwelt as guests in the king's house for well nigh a year, and it is said that in this time Hurin, whose mind was swift and eager, gained much lore of the elves, and learned also something of the counsels and purposes of the king. For Turgon took great liking for the sons of Galdor, and spoke much with them, and he wished indeed to keep them in Gondolin out of love, and not only for his law, that no stranger, be he elf or man, who found the way to the secret kingdom, or looked upon the city, should ever depart again, until the king should open the leaguer, and the hidden people should come forth. But Hurin and Huor desired to return to their own people, and share in the wars and griefs that now beset them. And Hurin said to Turgon, Lord, we are but mortal men, and unlike the Eldar. They may endure for long years, awaiting battle with their enemies in some far distant day. But for us, the time is short, and our hope and strength soon wither. Moreover, we did not find the road to Gondolin, and indeed we do not know surely where this city stands, for we were brought in fear and wonder by the high ways of the air, and in mercy our eyes were veiled. Then Turgon granted his prayer, and he said, By the way that you came, you have leave to return, if Thorondor is willing. I grieve at this parting, 
Yet in a little while, as the Eldar are counted, we may meet again. But Maeglin, the king's sister's son, who was mighty in Gondolin, grieved not at all at their going, though he begrudged them the favour of the king, for he had no love for any of the kindred of men. And he said to Hurin, The king's grace is greater than you know, and some might wonder wherefore the strict law is abated for two knave children of men. It would be safer if they had no choice but to abide here as our servants to their life's end. The king's grace is great indeed, answered Hurin, but if our word is not enough, then we will swear oaths to you. And the brothers swore never to reveal the counsels of Turgon, and to keep secret all that they had seen in his realm. Then they took their leave, and the eagles coming bore them away by night and set them down in Dor Lomin before the dawn. Their kinsfolk rejoiced to see them, for messengers from Brethil had reported that they were lost, but they would not tell even to their father where they had been, save that they were rescued in the wilderness by the eagles that brought them home. But Galdor said, did you then dwell a year in the wild? Or did the eagles house you in their eyries? But you found food and fine raiment, and return as young princes, not as waifs of the wood. Be content, father, said Hurin, that we have returned, for only under an oath of silence was this permitted. That oath is still on us. Then Galdor questioned them no more, but he and many others guessed at the truth, for both the oath of silence and the eagles pointed to Turgon, men thought. So the days passed, and the shadow of the fear of Morgoth lengthened. But in the 469th year after the return of the Noldor to Middle-earth, there was a stirring of hope among elves and men. For the rumour ran among them of the deeds of Beren and Luthien, and the putting to shame of Morgoth, even upon his throne in Angband. And some said that Beren and Luthien yet lived, or had returned from the dead. In that year also the great councils of Maedhros were almost complete, and with the reviving strength of the Eldar and the Edain, the advance of Morgoth was stayed, and the orcs were driven back from Beleriand. Then some began to speak of victories to come, and of redressing the battle of the Bragolach, when Maedhros should lead forth the united hosts and drive Morgoth underground and seal the doors of Angband. But the wiser were uneasy still, fearing that Maedhros revealed his growing strength too soon, and that Morgoth would be given time enough to take counsel against him. Ever will some new evil be hatched in Angband, beyond the guess of elves and men, they said, and in the autumn of that year, to point their words, there came an ill wind from the north, 
under leaden skies. The evil breath it was called, for it was pestilent, and many sickened and died in the fall of the year in the northern lands that bordered on the Angfauglith. They were, for the most part, the children of the rising youth in the houses of men. In that year, Turin, son of Hurin, was yet only five years old, and Urwen, his sister, was three in the beginning of spring. Her hair was like the yellow lilies in the grass as she ran in the fields, and her laughter was like the sound of the merry stream that came singing out of the hills past the walls of her father's house. Nen Lalith it was named, and after it all the people of the household called the child Lalith, and their hearts were glad while she was among them. But Turin was loved less than she. He was dark-haired as his mother, and promised to be like her in mood also. For he was not merry, and spoke little, though he learned to speak early, and ever seemed older than his years. Turin was slow to forget injustice or mockery, but the fire of his father was also in him, and he could be sudden and fierce. Yet he was quick to pity and the hurts or sadness of living things might move him to tears. And he was like his father in this also, for Morwen was stern with others as with herself. He loved his mother, for her speech to him was forthright and plain, but his father he saw little, for Hurin was often long away from home, with the host of Fingon that guarded Hithlum's eastern borders. And when he returned, his quick speech, full of strange words and jests and half-meanings, bewildered Turin and made him uneasy. At that time all the warmth of his heart was for Lalithi's sister, but he played with her seldom, and liked better to guard her unseen, and to watch her going upon grass or under tree, as she sang such songs as the children of the Edine made long ago, when the tongue of the elves was still fresh upon their lips. Fair as an elf child is Lalith, said Hurin to Morwen, but briefer, alas, and so fairer may be, or dearer. And Turin, hearing these words, pondered them, but could not understand them for he had seen no elf children. None of the elder at that time dwelt in his father's lands, and once only had he seen them when King Fingon and many of his lords had ridden through Dorlomin and passed over the bridge of Nen Lalith, glittering in silver and white. But before the year was out, the truth of his father's words was shown. For the evil breath came to Dorlomin, and Turin took sick, and lay long in a fever and dark dream. And when he was healed, for such was his fate and the strength of life that was in him, he asked for Lalith. But his nurse answered, Speak no more of Lalith, son of Hurin, but of your sister Urwen you must ask tidings of your mother. And when Morwen came to him, Turin said to her, I am no longer sick, 
and I wish to see Urwen. But why must I not say Lalith any more? Because Urwen is dead, and laughter is stilled in this house, she answered. But you live, son of Morwen. And so does the enemy who has done this to us. She did not seek to comfort him any more than herself, for she met her grief in silence and coldness of heart. But Hurin mourned openly, and he took up his harp, and would make a song of lamentation, but he could not, and he broke his harp. And going out, he lifted up his hand towards the north, crying, Mara of Middle-earth, would that I might see you face to face, and mar you as my lord Fingolfin did. But Turin wept bitterly at night alone though to Morwen he never again spoke the name of his sister. To one friend only he turned at that time, and to him he spoke of his sorrow and the emptiness of the house. This friend was named Sador, a houseman in the service of Hurin. He was lame and of small account. He had been a woodman, and by ill luck or the mishandling of his axe, he had hewn his right foot and the footless leg had shrunken, and Turin called him Labadal, which is Hopperfoot, though the name did not displease Sador, for it was given in pity and not in scorn. Sador worked in the outbuildings to make or mend things of little worth that were needed in the house, for he had some skill in the working of wood, and Turin would fetch him what he lacked to spare his leg. Sometimes he would carry off secretly some tool or piece of timber that he found unwatched, if he thought his friend might use it. Then Sador smiled, but bade him return the gifts to their places. Give with a free hand, but give only your own, he said. He rewarded as he could the kindness of the child, and carved for him the figures of men and beasts. But Turin delighted most in Sador's tales, for he had been a young man in the days of the Bragolach, and loved now to dwell upon the short days of his full manhood before his maiming. That was a great battle, they say, son of Hurin. I was called from my tasks in the wood, in the need of that year, but I was not in the Bragolach, or I might have got my hurt with more honour. For we came too late, save to bear back the bier of the old lord Hador, who fell in the guard of King Fingolfin. I went for a soldier after that, and I was in Aethelsirion, the great fort of the elf kings, for many years, or so it seems now, and the dull years since have little to mark them. In Aethelsirion I was when the Black King assailed it, and Galdor, your father's father, was the captain there in the King's stead. He was slain in that assault, and I saw your father take up his lordship and his command, though but new come to manhood. There was a fire in him that made the sword hot in his hand, they said. Behind him we drove the orcs into the sand, and they have not dared to come within sight of the walls since that day. But alas, 
my love of battle was sated, for I had seen spilled blood and wounds enough. And I got leave to come back to the woods that I yearned for, and there I got my hurt. For a man that flies from his fear may find that he has only taken a short cut to meet it. In this way, Sador would speak to Turin as he grew older, and Turin began to ask many questions that Sador found hard to answer, thinking that others nearer akin should have had the teaching. And one day, Turin said to him, Was Lalith indeed like an elf child, as my father said? And what did he mean when he said that she was briefer? Very like, said Sador. For in their first youth the children of men and elves seem close akin. But the children of men grow more swiftly, and their youth passes soon. Such is our fate. Then Turin asked him, What is fate? As to the fate of men, said Sador, you must ask those that are wiser than Labadal. But as all can see, we weary soon and die and by mischance many meet death even sooner. But the elves do not weary, and they do not die, save by great hurt. From wounds and griefs that would slay men, they may be healed, and even when their bodies are marred, they return again, some say. It is not so with us. Then Lalith will not come back, said Turin. Where has she gone? She will not come back, said Sador, but where she has gone no man knows, or I do not. Has it always been so, or do we suffer some curse of the wicked king, perhaps, like the evil breath? I do not know. A darkness lies behind us, and out of it few tales have come. The fathers of our fathers may have had things to tell, but they did not tell them. Even their names are forgotten. The mountains stand between us and the life that they came from, flying from no man now knows what. Were they afraid? said Turin. It may be, said Sador. It may be that we fled from the fear of the dark, only to find it here before us, and nowhere else to fly to but the sea. We are not afraid any longer, said Turin. Not all of us. My father is not afraid, and I will not be, or at least, as my mother, I will be afraid, and not show it. It seemed then to Sador that Turin's eyes were not the eyes of a child, and he thought, Grief is a hone to a hard mind. But aloud he said, Son of Hurin and Morwen, how it will be with your heart. Lavadal cannot guess, but seldom and to few will you show what is in it. Then Turin said, Perhaps it is better not to tell what you wish if you cannot have it, but I wish, Lavadal, that I were one of the Eldar. Then Lalith might come back, and I should still be here, even if she were long away. I shall go as a soldier with an elf king as soon as I am able, as you did, Lavadal. You may learn much of them, said Sador, and he sighed. They are fair folk and wonderful, and they have a power over the hearts of men. 
and yet I think sometimes it might have been better if we had never met them, but had walked in lowlier ways. Already they are ancient in knowledge, and they are proud and enduring. In their light we are dimmed, or we burn with too quick a flame, and the weight of our doom lies the heavier on us. But my father loves them, said Turin, and he's not happy without them. He says that we have learned nearly all that we know from them, and have been made a nobler people. And he says that the men that have lately come over the mountains are hardly better than orcs. That is true, answered Sado, true at least of some of us. But the up-climbing is painful, and from high places it is easy to fall low. At this time Turin was almost eight years old, in the month of Guairon in the reckoning of the Edine, in the year that cannot be forgotten. Already there were rumours among his elders of a great mustering and gathering of arms, of which Turin heard nothing, though he marked that his father often looked steadfastly at him, as a man might look at something dear that he must part from. Now Hurin, knowing her courage and her guarded tongue, often spoke with Morwen of the designs of the elven kings, and of what might befall if they went well or ill. His heart was high with hope, and he had little fear for the outcome of the battle, for it did not seem to him that any strength in Middle-earth could overthrow the might and splendour of the Eldar. They have seen the light in the west, he said, and in the end darkness must flee from their faces. Morwen did not gainsay him, for in Hurin's company the hopeful ever seemed the more likely. But there was knowledge of elven law in her kindred also, and to herself, she said, and yet did they not leave the light, and are they not now shut out from it? Maybe, but the lords of the West have put them out of their thought, and how then can even the elder children overcome one of the powers? No shadow of such doubt seemed to lie on Hurin Thalion. Yet one morning in the spring of that year he awoke heavy, as after unquiet sleep, and a cloud lay on his brightness that day. And in the evening he said suddenly, When I am summoned, Morwen Erethwen, I shall leave in your keeping the heir of the house of Hador. The lives of men are short, and in them there are many ill chances, even in time of peace. That has ever been so, she answered. But what lies under your words? Prudence, not doubt, said Hurin. Yet he looked troubled. But one who looks forward must see this, that things will not remain as they were. This will be a great throw, and one side must fall lower than it now stands. If it be the elven kings that fall, then it must go evilly with the Edine, and we dwell nearest to the enemy. This land might pass into his dominion. But if things do go ill, I will not say to you, Do not be afraid, for you fear what should be feared, and that only, and fear does not dismay you. But I say, do not wait. I shall return to you as I may, but do not wait. 
go south as swiftly as you can. If I live, I shall follow, and I shall find you, though I have to search through all Beleriand. Beleriand is wide and houseless for exiles, said Morwen. Whither should I flee, with few or with many? Then Hurin thought for a while in silence. There is my mother's kin in Brethil, he said. That is some thirty leagues as the eagle flies. If such an evil time should indeed come, what help would there be in men? said Morwen. The house of Beor has fallen. If the great house of Hador falls, in what holes shall the little folk of Haleth creep? In such as they can find, said Hurin. But do not doubt their valour, for they are few and unlearned. Where else is hope? You do not speak of Gondolin, said Morwen. No, for that name has never passed my lips, said Hurin. Yet the word is true that you have heard. I have been there. But I tell you now truly, as I have told no other, and will not, I do not know where it stands. But you guess, and guess near, I think, said Morwen. It may be so, said Hurin, but unless Turgon himself released me from my oath, I could not tell that guess even to you, and therefore your search would be vain. But were I to speak to my shame, you would at best but come at a shut gate, for unless Turgon comes out to war, and of that no word has been heard, and it is not hoped, no one will come in. Then if your kin are not hopeful, and your friends deny you, said Morwen, I must take counsel for myself, and to me now comes the thought of Doriath. Ever your aim is high, said Hurin. Over high, you would say, said Morwen. But last of all defences will the girdle of Melian be broken, I think, and the house of Beor will not be despised in Doriath. Am I not now kin of the king? For Berin, son of Barahir, was grandson of Bregor, as was my father also. My heart does not lean to Thingol, said Hurin. No help will come from him to King Fingon. And I know not what shadow falls on my spirit when Doriath is named. At the name of Brethil, my heart also is darkened, said Morwen. Then suddenly Hurin laughed, and he said, Yeah, we sit debating things beyond our reach, and shadows that come out of dream. Things will not go so ill. But if they do, then to your courage and counsel all is committed. Do then what your heart bids you, but do it swiftly. And if we gain our ends, then the elven kings are resolved to restore all the fiefs of Beor's house to his heir. And that is you, Morwen, daughter of Baragund. Wide lordships we should then wield, and a high inheritance come to our son. Without the malice in the north, he should come to great wealth and be a king among men. Kurin Thalion, said Morwen, this I judge truer to say, that you look high, but I fear to fall low. That at the worst, 
You need not fear, said Hurin. That night, Turin half woke, and it seemed to him that his father and mother stood beside his bed and looked down on him in the light of the candles that they held, but he could not see their faces. On the morning of Turin's birthday, Hurin gave his son a gift, an elf-wrought knife, and the hilt and the sheath were silver and black, and he said, Heir of the house of Hador, here is a gift for the day, but have a care. It is a bitter blade, and steel serves only those that can wield it. It will cut your hand as willingly as aught else. And setting Turin on a table, he kissed his son and said, You overtop me already, son of Morwen. Soon you will be as high on your own feet. In that day, many may fear your blade. Then Turin ran from the room and went away alone, and in his heart was a warmth like the warmth of the sun upon the cold earth that sets growth astir. He repeated to himself his father's words, Heir of the house of Hador. But other words came also to his mind. Give with a free hand, but give of your own. And he went to Sador and cried, Labadal, it is my birthday, the birthday of the heir of the house of Hador, and I have brought you a gift to mark the day. Here is a knife just such as you need. It will cut anything that you wish, as fine as a hair. Then Sador was troubled, for he knew well that Turin had himself received the knife that day. But men held it a grievous thing to refuse a free given gift from any hand. He spoke then to him gravely. You come of a generous kin, Turin, son of Hurin. I have done nothing to equal your gift, and I cannot hope to do better in the days that are left to me. But what I can do, I will. And when Sador drew the knife from the sheath, he said, This is a gift indeed, a blade of elven steel. Long have I missed the feel of it. Hurin soon marked that Turin did not wear the knife, and he asked him, whether his warning had made him fear it. Then Turin answered, No, but I gave the knife to Sador the woodwright. Do you then scorn your father's gift? said Morwen. And again Turin answered, No, but I love Sador, and I am sorry for him. Then Hurin said, All three gifts were your own to give, Turin. Love, pity, and the knife the least. Yet I doubt if Sador deserves them, said Morwen. He is self-maimed by his own want of skill, and he is slow with his tasks, for he spends much time on trifles unbidden. Give him pity nonetheless, said Hurin. An honest hand and a true heart may hew amiss, and the harm may be harder to bear than the work of a foe. But you must wait now for another blade said Morwen. Thus the gift shall be a true gift, and at your own cost. Nonetheless, Turin marked that Sador was treated more kindly thereafter 
and was set now to the making of a great chair for the Lord to sit on in his hall. There came a bright morning in the month of Lothron, when Turin was roused by sudden trumpets, and running to the doors, he saw in the court a great press of men on foot and on horse, and all fully armed as for war. There also stood Hurin, and he spoke to the men and gave commands. And Turin learned that they were setting out that day for Barad Aithel. These were Hurin's guards and household men, but all the men of his land that could be spared were summoned. Some had gone already with Huor, his father's brother, and many others would join the lord of Dorlomin on the road and go behind his banner to the great muster of the king. Then Morwen bade farewell to Hurin without tears, and she said, I will guard what you leave in my keeping, both what is and what shall be. And Hurin answered her, Farewell, lady of Dorlomin. We ride now with greater hope than ever we have known before. Let us think that at this midwinter the feast shall be merrier than in all our years yet, with a fearless spring to follow after. Then he lifted Turin to his shoulder and cried to his men, Let the heir of the house of Hador see the light of your swords! And the sun glittered on fifty blades as they leaped forth and the court rang with the battle-cry of the Edine of the North. Lacho Kalad, Drago Morn! Flame light, flee night! Then at last Hurin sprang into his saddle, and his golden banner was unfurled, and the trumpets sang again in the morning. And thus Hurin Thalion rode away to the Nirnaith Arnoidiad. But Morwen and Turin stood still by the doors, until far away they heard the faint call of a single horn on the wind. Turin had passed over the shoulder of the hill, beyond which he could see his house no more.